0: This morning I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians once again. We're looking at the book of 1 Corinthians, we're in uh, chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 6 through 16 this morning. The title of the sermon is uh, The Secret and Hidden Wisdom, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 6 through 16. Let me remind you before I read God's Word to you that this is God's good and kind and gracious word that he has given to you this morning. It is to you and for you because God has given his son Jesus Christ to you and God is for you this morning if you are in Christ. So give attention to his word this morning. Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's ask the Lord to help us understand his word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today. We see in your word so many great and wonderful truths. and So many things that could could possibly confuse us. So what we need from you, Father, is the spirit to help us to understand these truths clearly. Lord, you have promised that your people will know the truth because of your work in us. And I pray, Father, that all of us would hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that we might know the wisdom of God because you have given us these things freely. Lord, we pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord and Savior. Amen. Well, a little more than a decade ago, uh, Apple started uh, their Get a Mac ad campaign. Uh, you probably r- will remember it even if uh, if you don't remember it now, you'll remember it because it kind of kicked off for Apple a new age in advertising for them. And here basically is what it was. They had a white screen and they had a young, hip-looking guy that would come on to the screen and he would say, "I'm a Mac." and then they would have an older kind of frumpy looking guy in a stuffy suit come out and he would say I'm a PC. And right at the beginning of this ad what you learned was that the cool young people who kind of knew what the world was all about they had a Mac whereas all the old and stuffy business types well they had a PC. If you want to be cool you get a Mac. If you want a pc or you want to be old and stuffy you get a pc well there was something else that mac was selling in this ad and it's something that all advertisers and marketing people instinctively understand that if you want to get anybody to buy your product you have to tap in to this supposed secret knowledge that's out there this secret of life this secret wisdom And you have to convince people that your product will give them the secret to life that they've been missing all of this time. If you watch any commercials, which I'm assuming all of you have seen a commercial, and you know what they are and how they advertise, if you watch any of them, you know that they are trying to get you to buy their product because they are trying to convince you that you need this one thing to make your life better. They have the secret And all you got to do is give them $19.99, and then you can have the secret too. Well, ultimately, that is nothing new. That has been around for a very, very long time. The early church in Paul's day was dealing with this, and it was under a different name. It's called Gnosticism. I'm not going to go into great detail about what Gnosticism is. The word Gnostic means knowledge. It's simply the Greek word for knowledge. But in the early church, there were people that were slipping into the early church, and they were saying, you know, all that stuff about Jesus is fine, but there's more knowledge for you to have. There's more secret wisdom for you to have. And if you just listen to us, we will give you those secrets. All you have to do is give me the authority that I want. Give me the power that I want. Give me what I want, and then I will give you the secret to life. That's what they were doing in Corinth. We've been looking at this book and seeing that in the first four chapters, Paul is dealing with all of the divisions that, has, that have popped up in the Corinthian church. And there's a variety of divisions. There's a variety of reasons for those divisions. And today he deals with this reason. That there are people that are holding out and kind of dangling the carrot of secret wisdom to the Christians there. And Paul is addressing to them uh, how it is that they can avoid this division. And all of it, he brings back to focusing on Jesus Christ. I want to look at this passage in three ways this morning. In verses 6 through 9, you see the wisdom of the Father the wisdom of the Father in verses 6 through 9. Secondly, you see the revelation of the Spirit in verses 10 through 13. And thirdly, you see the mind of Christ in verses 14 through 16. And I want to, before I get too much further, I want to show you the way that Paul thinks and the way that Paul structures his arguments. Paul believes in the Trinity. So in his argument against all what the Gnostics are doing and all this secret wisdom, he is giving you information and teaching you about the way that the Trinity operates. If you ask many Christians, they'll tell you that the Trinity is probably the most complex of all Christian doctrines to understand. And Paul isn't necessarily teaching you all of the depths of the Trinity, but he's telling you and teaching you how to be Trinitarian as you think. So first of all, we see the wisdom of the Father, the wisdom of the Father. Look at the way Paul begins. This is shrewd. This is really, really shrewd from Paul. Um, uh, Paul understands the way that the Gnostics are working, the way that these people are working. They're sneaking into the church and they're dangling this carrot out in front of them. Well, Paul says, well, I've got a carrot too that I'm going to dangle out in front of you. Look at what he says. Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Right off the bat here, he's saying well, you know, for those that are mature, for those that are grown up, for those that really know, we have some things to say to them, right? He's kind of making a distinction. He's drawing people out because he just got finished saying, we don't give the wisdom of the world, we give the foolishness of God. But now he kind of switches back and he says, oh, but we have wisdom to give, but only to those that are mature. If you're not mature, don't apply. You, you won't like this wisdom, So he's drawing, uh, he's drawing them out. And, and so uh, he's saying, you know, in, in Corinth, these people that have snuck in to Corinth that are dividing the church along these lines of this secret wisdom that they're doling out and they're, they're saying, uh, you know, we have this wisdom and we, we want you to have this wisdom too. Just give us uh, this authority and this power. Uh, Paul is saying, he understands that what they're saying is that they are the mature ones. That they are the ones that are grown up. And so he's saying seemingly, it's like he's seemingly siding with those people because they have a secret wisdom. They have a mature wisdom. And Paul says, oh, well, I do too. So he's turning the table on them. He's saying you need to understand that those who are wise in the eyes of the world aren't really the wise guys. They don't really have wisdom you also need to understand something about the geographical location of Corinth. They are relatively close to the city of Athens, and Athens was the center of learning for the Greek empire, and still in this day was a really important city for education, for philosophy. Corinth is very close to Athens, and people would have traveled, uh, uh, you know along the road, directly back and forth to Athens, and they would have brought in all of these different philosophies and all these different things, and all these people in Corinth would have would have wanted to have this secret wisdom, wanted to have this kind of knowledge. But what does Paul say about this knowledge? He says this knowledge that they 're bringing in really isn 't wise what 's going on with them? Look at verse seven: We impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages. For our glory, none of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He talks about these rulers and authorities. One of the one of the parts of Gnostic, the Gnostic religion, with that is that there are these uh, forces that are out in the world that are directing the world. Forces that are like gods. Um, but they're not the God, and and they kind of operate by influencing the world in different ways, and there's a lot of talk of rulers and authorities and powers. And Paul brings in this idea of the rulers and the powers and the authorities as well, and he says you need to understand that all of these things that they're presenting to you are not true. They are not actually wise. So what do you want to know the secret and hidden wisdom of God? Do you want to know what God has for you? Paul says, well, here's a hint. The secret wisdom is a mystery. In verse 7, that's actually the word that he uses. It's the word mysterion. But we impart a mystery. He says, I'm going to impart to you, and I've given to you the secret things of the Lord, the mystery of the Lord. What is a mystery according to Paul? In all of Paul's writings, he uses that word mysterion or mystery all the time. But he has a specific meaning whenever he uses that word. A mystery is something that used to be hidden, but now is revealed. It used to be covered over. It used to be in shadows, but now it has been brought to the light. You can think of the entire Old Testament as that mystery, and that's what Paul means. He says there are things that were in the shadows in the Old Testament, things that were hidden over, things that were talked about, uh, uh, roughly kind of sketched out, but now have all been blown wide open. The doors have been opened. The light has shine shine in so that you can see the mysteries of God have all been revealed. That's what Paul says. He says, we impart a mystery to the mature, to those that are listening, to those that are paying attention. And he uses this important word, which God decreed before the ages... For our glory, that word decree is the exact same word that's translated predestination, predestined, that God decreed and predestined these things to take place before uh, the, the foundations of this world and all over. That's a theme that you can trace. Uh, through all of the scriptures that God has been working to bring about His plan of redemption, that He covered over in the times of the Old Testament, but now, according to Paul, have been made wide open, have been brought to the light. So, what is it that has been brought to the light? What is it that the rulers and the authorities of this world and of this age have rejected? It's simply this: that you are a sinner before God. That's not that's not new. See, everyone believes that they're a sinner. It's just how bad they really are. The new thing that has been revealed, the mystery that has been revealed, is that God has made a way for you to be in relationship with Him, even though you're a sinner. And that is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That mystery has been revealed that is the secret wisdom of God. The way that you can be in relationship with God, the way that you can approach a holy God, even though you are not holy, is through the blood of Jesus Christ. That has been revealed. The good news has been revealed. The good news has been given to you. The wisdom of the world misses this. And the wisdom of the world and the wise men of this world hate this good news. Because this good news demands that you say that you are a sinner before a holy God and you deserve nothing but his just displeasure and eternal wrath. But the good news is God has made a way. God has pacified his anger toward you through his son, Jesus Christ. He has opened the doors so that you can come to him Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And God decreed that before the foundations of the world. And that is good news. In Matthew eleven twenty five, 25, Jesus says, Lord, I thank you that you have hidden these things from the wise of the world, but you have shown them to babes. It's a weird thing for him to say because he's talking to grown fishermen, and he calls them babies. But in the eyes of the world, that's what they are. See, God has revealed these truths to his people, and it makes sense. You can go um, and study the writings and the philosophies of the world, uh, and I... I tried to span kind of all of intellectual history from Plato to Stephen Hawking's, and to see the way that they understand the world and the way that they present the world and the way that they understand the wisdom of the world and all the wise things that they say. The smartest of men, the wisest of men, the men with the highest IQ cannot see the truth and the glory of these things. But God has revealed these things to babes Like us. And he says in verse 9, What no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What Paul's talking about there is the gospel is not something, the good news of Jesus Christ cannot be invented by men because men cannot imagine its greatness. Man has not invented these things. Paul says only God could come up with this good news. So you see there the wisdom of God in verses 6 through 9. Secondly, you see the revelation of the Spirit in verses 10 through 13. He begins there in verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. The mystery of God, God has revealed those things to us. Well, who's the us? Who is he talking to? He's talking to the believers in Corinth. He's talking to the church in Corinth. And he's saying to these people, God has revealed these truths to you. Now, you need to remember the division that was taking place. There are some who are saying there's still more that you need to hear. There's still more revelation that you need from God. And Paul says, no, God has given you everything that you need through the revelation of the Spirit. But to them, and maybe even to you, if you're honest, you know, this good news of Jesus Christ I've heard it all before, Kelly, you say it every week. It's old hat. I don't feel like this is the knowledge that I need. I feel like there's something more. To them and maybe to you, the good news of Jesus Christ just isn't that exciting. And maybe you want something else. Maybe you need something else to kind of lift your spirits, to get you to that next level. Maybe you've plateaued in your Christian walk. And what Paul says is, no, you've gotten everything you need because God has given it to you. you no, know, God, isn't, God isn't like some of our parents who are kind of, you know waiting to give us their love until we can meet some kind of expectation that they hold out for us. What does Paul say? Paul says, no, we have not received we have received not the spirit of the world but the spirit of, who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. He gets to the nature of who God is that God is a God who freely gives us of himself. God isn't a God who dangles this carrot out in front of you and says, well, let's see if you can get it. Let's see how fast you can run. Let's see how far you can run. Let's see how hard you can work. And maybe, just maybe, you can attain to this next level. Paul says that teaching is not from God. That teaching is contrary to the good news. There is no good news in that. Because our God is a God who freely gives. He has revealed these things to us through the Spirit. Um, You say, well, again, but I don't really feel like I've reached that level. Well, you need to remember that your feelings lie to you all the time. The basis for your Christianity, the basis for your assurance, the basis for your salvation is not on your feelings. But it's on the objective truth of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for you. And who God is and what God has given you. And Paul says, God has given you. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit. You have been given the Spirit of God. And what does the Spirit of God do? For who knows a person's thought except the Spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God, that God has given us his spirit, he has not given us just our own spirit kind of on a different level, but he has given us his very spirit that knows the mind of God, that lives inside of us, that allows us to understand the the immeasurable riches of God. Now certainly that doesn't mean that we know all things at all times and we are omniscient the way that God is. But it does certainly mean that we can understand things the way that the world cannot. And the best example of that is the Trinity. Uh, Again, I don't have time to go into depths on the Trinity. And the truth is the more you say about the Trinity, the more likely you are to say the wrong thing about the Trinity. And it's smart to say uh, only what the scriptures say about the Trinity. And that's this, that God exists As one God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they are eternal God. One God in three persons. And you say, well, okay, if you start like trying to figure all of that out, your mind kind of explodes on you and you can't figure it out. But as Christians, even though you don't understand the depths of what all that means, and hopefully one day our minds will be able to handle what all that means, you know the truth that God exists in Trinity. The world looks at that and says, that's madness, that's crazy, that's irrational. But Christians say, no, it makes sense. God has to exist in Trinity. If God does not exist in Trinity, then this world cannot exist and there is no such thing as good news. You are wiser than the world because the Spirit of God lives in you. That's good news for you. God has freely given us these things. And if there's anyone that says you need to attain to another level as a Christian and that there's one more thing that you have to do to attain to that level or there's more one more bit of secret knowledge that you need, then that person has missed it. That person doesn't understand the truth that God has freely given you his spirit today. Does that mean that you're perfect? No. Does that mean that you're fully sanctified? No. We are all in the process of sanctification, of becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. He is at work in us by his spirit to do that for us. But it does mean that because of Jesus Christ, because you have the spirit, that There is a sense in which you have arrived and you are already right now seated with him in the heavenly places. That is God's promise to you. So who knows best? Who knows best? There's one spirit at work in the church. And because we all have one spirit we are all in unity together in Jesus Christ, then there's no reason for division among us. Now, we might have some differences. We might have some differences of opinion about various things in the church. But if we are unified along one line with one spirit, then we need to understand that all divisions in the church need to fade away in light of who God is, in light of the fact that God has given all us all the same spirit What this should do for us, because we recognize that we all have one spirit altogether, it's not that Kenny has a better spirit than I have or or anything like that. It's that we all have one spirit, so we all should be humble before each other. We all have everything that we need in Christ, and there's no one that has one thing uh, better that I need that you can give me. This should create humility in us. Now we do have a hierarchy in the church. We are a Presbyterian church. Presbyterian means ruled by elders. We have elders in the church. I am a teaching elder. We have three ruling elders in our church. But here's what that means. Those ruling elders and your teaching elder is not better than you. But we have been given the job of telling you that we are not better, but Christ is better for us. It should create humility among us and it should create humility in you and in your family so that fathers as you are leading your families as servant leaders that doesn't mean you rule with a heavy hand but you re- lead in service to your family and sacrificing for your family it means the same thing for moms as they sacrifice and serve their children, as they children, as, as those children learn to see you loving and sacrificing for them, should make us humble. So, secondly, you see the revelation of the spirit, and then finally, you see the mind of Christ in verses fourteen uh, through sixteen. The mind of Christ. Paul kind of makes a distinction. He says, you know, once again, he's been making distinctions through this whole time. The mature person versus the immature person. And the spiritual person versus the immature. Now he says, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God. For they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them. Because they are spiritually discerned. Essentially, he says this. "The, The one who doesn't have the Spirit. The one who has not been given the gift of the Spirit by God is a natural person. They live in the natural. So they don't have the resources from God in order to understand the things of God. They think that the gospel of Jesus Christ is foolishness because they don't want a weak and crucified Savior. But the spiritual person, according to Paul, understands that the only way of salvation is through a weak and crucified Savior. The spiritual person accepts the foolishness of God. You can only understand the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ if you have the Spirit. Well, how do you get the Spirit? the church, the uh, history of the church is full of people who say, well, there's one way, there's a method of you getting the Spirit, and, and it's by doing these certain things. It's by following this formula, it's by doing the X, Y, and Z, and then you can get the Spirit. Well, um, thankfully, the scriptures correct that teaching. So, what does Jesus say to Nicodemus in John chapter 3? Uh, who can control the Spirit? Who knows what the Spirit is going to do? Only God knows what the Spirit is going to do because the Spirit is God. The Spirit goes this way and that way. The Spirit does what He wants to do. And the only way for you to understand these things is to have the Spirit. So how do you get the Spirit? God gives you the Spirit. It's why I love Reformed theology because regeneration has to precede Salvation. You cannot force the Spirit to come upon you. If you believe, it's because God has given you His Spirit to enable you to believe. That's what 14 through 16 says. The natural person does not accept the same things of the Spirit of God. You cannot believe until you have the Spirit of God, for they are folly to Him. And He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Regeneration precedes salvation. If you believe today, it's because God has given you the gift of the Spirit. But what about this whole thing about being uh, about judging and being judged? Does that mean that um, if you're a Christian, then no one can judge you? Well, there's a sense in which, yes, that is true, because there's already been a judgment that has been made about you, that God the Father has already given you the judgment that you need, that you are fully righteous in his sight, only through the blood of Jesus Christ and the righteousness that he has given to you. There's no need for you to be judged by anyone. So that when somebody says you're a terrible sinner, you say, you got that right. When somebody says you're a terrible person, you say, you don't know the half of it. So when somebody says that you shouldn't be up here preaching, you say, absolutely not. I shouldn't be. But the judgment of God is that you have been made fully righteous because of the blood of Jesus Christ, because of His righteousness for you. God has given you all that you need, and no one can stand in judgment of you. He's given you His Spirit so that you can understand these things, so that you can know these things. And He says finally, "For who has understood the mind of the Lord? So is, who? Uh, the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him." It's a rhetorical question. Who has understood the mind of the Lord? And then he kind of follows it up and says, but we have the mind of Christ. We have been given the mind of Christ. It's another way of saying we've been given the spirit of Christ. We've been given the understanding of Christ. In Christ, we have all that we need. The reality is, is that there are some who are saying that Christ wasn't enough for the Corinthians, Paul says no Christ is all that we need so that right before us he said I come deciding to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ in him crucified if you have the mind of Christ you have all you need this morning we are unified in our faith through the spirit but are there divisions among us have we divided ourselves among non-spiritual lines We need to ask those searching questions and see if we have one spirit, we should be humble among ourselves and realize we're in this together in unity of the spirit. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. It's in the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's only because of that good news that you are invited to partake of the Lord this morning. If you are in Jesus, then you are invited to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. The world looks at what we're about to do with the table of the Lord Jesus Christ and says, this is madness, this is craziness, this doesn't make sense. And we say, yes, but the Lord has given us himself. And in him we have all that we need. This table that we're about to partake in shows us the glory of Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask for him to help us as we enter into this time of celebration. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for giving us your word today. We thank you for giving us the mind of Christ. I pray, Father, that you would uh, help us more and more to see the glory of Jesus and more and more to experience his glory, more and more to know uh, just the way that you have uh, equipped us by your wisdom. Father, again, we thank you uh, for this message. We thank you for uh, for this reminder. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, We pray, Father, that you would do the work of regeneration, giving them your spirit that they might believe. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to enter into our.